Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. self-education almost so to speak because i learned best from talking with people like yourself and learning like you know what have you done with your life and what was your mindset what challenges did you overcome and you know to get to your position today and all that good stuff but i guess we can also start that speaking of all that you know you have you have, you have a lot of hats you know ceo um <laughs> certified speaking professional entrepreneur author and you also said you were a stand-up comedian now i mean have you always just been like that wanting to wear a lot of hats or was it just you just grew into it or what you know, i think i've always done a bunch of different things just keeps life interesting but what's fascinating to me is they're all pretty related you know like everything that i do for sales and speaking it's being in front of people and comedy helps me with the business and knowing how I prepare for business has helped me be a better comedian. So it's all just me. And, you know, I just keep shifting gears a little. How long have you been doing the comedy? I started that in 2014. Oh, recent. Yeah. Was that always just a adventure you wanted to do even growing up? You just decided to go for it in 2014 or was that just. No, not at all. Like I, uh, in fact, I wasn't even really a big super fan of stand up. I hadn't really I didn't have a favorite comedian. I just my neighbor took a stand up com comedy class and she's an accountant. She was not known for her humor. And when I was sitting in the audience and listening to her do original comedy that she wrote, I was crying, laughing so hard. And I thought if she could do that. Maybe I could do that. And I took the class and learned how to write a joke. And the next thing I knew, I was hooked. I just, there's just nothing better than listening to people laugh at original comedy that you wrote. And I just I can't I can't stop. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I follow a lot of comedians, you know, big time ones. And, you know, I don't know if you know Burt Kreischer, but he was in Roanoke here a few months mm -hmm. ago. But yeah, so I, I get it. You know, I've never I don't feel like I have the funny bone and I probably couldn't do it. I feel like it's really tough to write, you know, just a small bit. You know, I mean, when you wrote your first thing, was it really hard to put, you know, pen to paper and make magic happen and write your own bit out? And well, what happens, what I learned is that you don't write the joke. The joke doesn't come fully formed in your brain. And so you can't sit down with a blank piece of paper and say, I'm going to write jokes today. You can sit with a blank piece of paper and write about things that you observe or things that frustrate you or embarrass you or made you laugh or things that are just on your mind. And when you start from that point, then ideas come to you just because your, your brain uh, is thinking of things that you may not consciously be aware of. And so it, you note it, like you might notice something that took your focus and then you, and then you ask yourself, I wonder why that commanded my attention in that moment. Um, you know, the the kind of comedy that I learned was really personal comedy. So it's not like Seinfeld, like, you know, what's the deal with <laughs> old people backing out of their driveway? It's not like that. Um, <laughs> I write about things that are personal to me. So I was going through a difficult divorce at the time that, well, my marriage was difficult at the time I took that class. And then as 
things got progressively worse with that. And I, and that turned into divorce. There was lots of things that I could write in my journal about what frustrated me and upset me and, you know, the, the uncertainty in life. And I found through comedy, I was able to process things that were difficult for me um, by looking for the things that would be funny about it. And uh, it really, honestly, I didn't intend it to be at the time, but it was like the best therapy I could have had because my mindset was anything that doesn't, you know, kill me, <laughs> anything that frustrates me will make for good comedy eventually. And that's how it worked. Yeah. You know, I mean, I respect people who write comedy and who, who can get up there and, you know, do a bit for 15 minutes or whatever, you know, just people, a lot of people, I feel like they think they're funny. And I don't want to make this whole conversation about comedy and all that. But just, you know, if somebody told me to go up there and be funny for five minutes, it's, it's extremely tough and nerve wracking. You know, it's and I respect people who are able to do it. And just, you know, I know you're a keynote speaker, too. And I feel like, you know, you kind of probably have the you're comfortable being on stage in front of people. And uh, I guess my next question I want to say, like, have you bond while you're up on stage, you know, doing your comedy or even as I have, yes, I've, I've done enough to, uh, to have that experience. <laughs> um, my, my worst set was in Canada. I was actually in Canada. I was in Toronto for business for a week and it was right at the time that my divorce was getting finalized. And I just showed up at a club and said, you know, they were having an open mic night and I got some time on their stage. Now, Canadians are known for being real nice people and don't rock the boat. So my humor at the time was pretty mean, if I'm honest, like just pretty mean. And and also it was a Wednesday night about 10 o'clock or 1030 by the time I got on. So who's out at that time are the young 20 somethings. Sure. And I was not a young 20 something. So they hadn't been through some of the experiences that I was writing comedy about. And so my jokes didn't land for a number of reasons. But I remember hearing one woman say to another up right in the front of the stage, you know, like her jokes are kind of mean. And, and I was like, Oh, Oh my God. <laughs> like, um, that was, I realized in that moment that it didn't quite have the depth and, you know, a, of a lot of different types of sets that I could have done. Mm-hmm. And now, um, many years later, now I can look at an audience and go, oh, okay, these are the 20 somethings. They're going to like my dating jokes. And this is an older crowd. They'll like my mom jokes. And, you know, so I can, I have a, a little bit of wiggle room to make the adjustment based on the audience, which is something that I learned from my business experience. You know, how do you read the room? You know, you, you want to make appropriate sales pitches to appropriate, you know, decision makers. You've got to know who you're talking to. And I think that might give me an edge in the comedy world because a lot of comedians, they have their set. It's what they do. And they don't really pay attention to who's in the room and how they might adjust their material so that it's really, um, a, you know, a good fit for the audience that night. Yeah. You just can't do that every night. I would think so. Right. But, you know, I guess there is a sense of, you know, like you said, in your business world, I mean, you all, you kind of do know who you're getting ready to do, I guess, sales with and your marketing and all that good stuff. So it is kind of good to do the research and then you can go in and tie in everything towards them. And what's, what's, so let's take it back from comedy and go back to, I guess, day one of, you know, your career. I mean, did you start, where'd you start out at? And like, how did you get the experience that you got and gained and learned all that good stuff? Well, I think I was one of the lucky ones. I knew really early on in my life what I wanted to do. I just didn't know exactly how it would work out, but I come from a long line of salespeople. So I guess it's no different than, you know, kids who want to grow up and be doctors because everybody in their family is a doctor or some other profession. So my dad sold advertising, my mom sold real estate, my grandfather had a car dealership, my grandmother sold Avon. So it was really never a question of what was I going to do? It was really more a question of what was I going to sell? And uh, I ended up in the radio advertising business. That was really career part one. And I did really well there. I liked it. I liked being with people. I liked being you know, it was a fun business to be in young and single, like going to concerts. And it was, you know, it was a blast. So 
I uh, I did really well. I worked my ass off and I became a, a sales manager pretty early in my career, a little probably before I was ready, if I'm honest. Yeah. And um, in that experience, I had put myself through some management training and some sales training with this organization. And then um, the radio station was being sold. And so I had this like choice point, like, do I go to another radio station and keep doing what I'm doing? Or do I jump ship now and try something different? And I ended up working for the company that uh, I was a client of theirs in sales training. And I really loved it because basically what I was selling was sales training. And then as I got more clients, I got more opportunities to be in front of the room leading the programs. And then I got better at that. And I kind of realized like, I think I can create some better material than what I'm training. And the next thing you know, I'm it's 1998 and I opened up my own sales, sales management training, coaching, consulting business. And I've been doing it ever since. That was a bold move. Was it pretty uh, nerve wracking? 1998 to open up that first business and take that leap of faith? Uh, it, it was maybe not as much of a leap of faith as, um, as it is for many entrepreneurs. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs are very good at what they do. They don't really know how to get business. In my case, my whole business was helping people get business. So I was pretty confident that I was going to be able to grow my own client base. I had done it for years at that point, working for someone else. And now it was, you know, it was just uh, that I was going to do it for myself. So it was, wasn't too hard. <laughs> and I mean, look what you are now. I mean, it, it must've really taken off. I mean, obviously, I mean, just, you know, I mean, I read a little bit what you sent, sent to me and you seemed like you have a good set strategy, I guess you could say in order to make it work, you know, with, you know, being open-minded, your mindset, the mechanics, the motion of it all. And I mean, was that mm -hmm. something also long you just picked up along the way or you had a mentor kind of give you that advice or just, you know, good and bad roads? That you yeah. Made? I mean, I've had many wonderful mentors over the course of my career. I feel very lucky for things that I've learned from other people's experiences have been, you know, incredible shortcuts for me over the years. Um, I, it's interesting because in the very beginning, when I started teaching people how to get and grow their business, I really focused a lot on the mechanics of selling. So here's what to say, right? And I had, here's the sales process and here's what you say at each stage of the sales process. And, it, you know, back then, I mean, that, that was the nineties, right? So it was like very standard sales 101 kind of stuff. Literally it, at that point, we weren't teaching people to say, um, you know, uh, I'm going to be in your area is Tuesday or Thursday better. Like that kind of stuff was already old and on its way out, but there were definitely some sort of technique -y kind of things that I had learned to, to say, to get and grow business. Um, and that got me to a certain point. But one of the reasons I left the sales training company that I had been working for was, and actually I should say in 1998 was when, uh, so I opened up my own business, but it was under an, um, somebody else's brand. Okay. So, uh, so I was still teaching somebody else's material for about 10 years. And then in 2008, it really was my own system that I had developed and um, expanded on because what all I was teaching was the mechanics of selling and there's so much more to it, you know? Um, in fact, it was, it's funny now that you're asking me this question, there were a couple of guys that were in my training class. Um, uh, Steven and Daniel, if I remember correctly, they, uh, they both worked for the same company. They sold the same things at the same price point, same territories. I mean, they even looked alike. Right. And they sat in my training class yeah. learning the same material from the same trainer in the same moment. And Steven did really great. He had, he put everything that I was teaching him into action. He had great results. Um, Daniel, not so much. And it frustrated me because I thought, how can I take credit for Steven's success if I don't take responsibility for the fact that Daniel hasn't really done anything with this? And it helped me see that there was more to it than the mechanics of selling. That's when I kind of started expanding my own knowledge base and learning about emotional intelligence and 
how mindset could really sabotage your success without you even knowing it, even if you knew the right things to say. Um, and the importance of focusing on the right action plan so that you are in consistent motion and what that what does that plan look like and all of that. And I think that's really what helped me round out my um, my own philosophies and methodology. Um, and that's been really helpful for my clients ever since. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, while I was down at the gym tonight, I was sitting here doing my workout, you know, thinking about, I get clear minds, I guess, when I'm working out. And I was thinking about how, you know, talking to you tonight about how sales, especially all around us, just because, you know, I, I train and I coach CrossFit on the side, but, you know, you have to sell, you know, a lot of people, I would never say I'm, you know, selling anything to somebody, but if you do think about it, I actually am selling the program, the CrossFit, you know, the methodology, the training behind it. And you don't even think about it, but yeah, I would have never, I don't know. I never would have put that together until tonight while I was sitting there down there. And it, 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 and that goes along with anything, you know, just, uh, I had a colleague recently quit. I moved to a job where they were selling magazines or whatever. And, I, and she asked me, do you think you could do that? And I was like, no, nah, I don't have the type of personality to sell anything, but then again, that's when it hit me. I was like, well, you know, I am kind of selling fitness, I guess, in a certain way. And then, you know, when yeah. I'm at a nine to five. So, yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense, you know. And then, you know, do you think? Well, yeah. and I think that you're, you know, you're not necessarily selling the the process and the and the workouts and all of that. You're really selling them the opportunity to get the result that's important to them. There you go. So, you know. Our, our business, my company is called Select Sales, but we spell it S-E-L-L-E-C-T. And that's very deliberate, but we actually want you to stop selling oh. because selling is pushy and aggressive. It's like nobody wants to be sold. I agree. People want to select the appropriate solutions for the problems and challenges that they are dealing with. And so what we teach is not how to how to sell, but it's really about how to get selected. And that is by using your expertise to ask the best questions. So if you think about all the things that you know about CrossFit and the benefits of that and the experiences that your clients have had by working with you, then you can ask prospective clients the kinds of questions that may help them think deeper than anybody else has helped has had them think about what's possible for them by training with you. And that's how they know that you're an expert at what you do, not because you push on them all of the things you know about CrossFit, but because you use that expertise to ask great questions so they see a new possibility for themselves. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, make that human connection, I guess you could say, and that there you go. Yeah. You know, not just selling everything, but it's exactly like you said. Hmm. Yeah, you make that human yeah. connection. People take a little, I guess, a trust in you, and then they might follow you along that journey. Interesting. Exactly. Never thought about it that way. Hmm, I like that. Um, <laughs> there you go. Guess that's why you're good at what you do. So uh, <laughs> let's, uh, you said emotional intelligence. I wanted to ask you about that earlier. I mean, you, all right. So I guess what is your definition of emotional intelligence? And let's give the uh, the listeners like a little bit of that. We'll start there. Okay. So emotional intelligence is how well you understand your own emotional triggers and responses and the impact that that has on other people. So as an example, um, I use an assessment tool in my business for emotional intelligence, actually um, uh, probably the most scientifically validated assessment available in the market. It's by a company called MHS Multi Health Systems, and they're out of Toronto, as a coincidentally no relation to my comedy story. Um, <laughs> but uh, two of the things that I can assess for are reality testing and optimism, as an example. So let's say you are really high in op your optimism, just every, you just always see possibilities. It's all going to work out, silver lining, yada, yada. Um, but let's say you're not equally balanced with a good, strong dose of reality check. So that can show up in a lot of different ways. In a sales situation, a uh, prospect might say, you know what, Chris, I really like what you're talking about. And um, yeah, this, this sounds really good. So you hear that through your optimism and even though you might be trained to say all of the right questions to test that reality, 
out of your mouth is going to come great, you know, all right, well, let's just touch base and we'll get this going. And I'm excited to work with you. Now that's not what they said, but that's what you heard because of how you're wired. And when you can see that relationship on paper and you have a, a certified coach who knows how to interpret this information on this assessment through a sales lens, then I, I can point out to you, okay, well, I, it's good that you have an optimistic outlook, but look at how it's not balanced with, a re, with reality testing. This means when I teach you how to ask better questions in a sales process, I also need to teach you to say, hey, look, um, I tend to hear things through my little happy ears. So if you don't mind, like talk real straight to me about you know, where you're feeling about, you know, the, the opportunity and, and I'll probably ask you a lot of questions just to make sure that we're both on the same page or whatever you say. But if I don't teach you to say that, then your optimism is going to lead the way every single time. And you won't always be dealing with reality. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But does somebody just build emotional intelligence just by through practice and you know, do, you know, actually trying it, or is it something that most people just kind of already have, or is it intuition or what do you think? Yeah, that's actually a really great question, Chris. And the reason why I love using this as a tool in my business and have for, you know, more than a decade is because it is something that you can control. It is something that you can deliberately take steps to change and improve. It generally improves over time as we get older and we have more experiences, um, our emotional intelligence levels tend to grow. Now, there are some unhealthy personality disorders where that is not the case, um, but it's not like a behavioral assessment where your natural style is pretty much your natural style. You you know, and you've heard of DISC profiles, I'm sure, like, you know, the, the four ways that we can look at behavioral um, personalities. And, you know, if you're a, a person who doesn't like change or a person who's more analytical or more people oriented, like those kinds of things are just natural to who you are. You can adjust your approach based on the situation, but that's pretty much not going to change unless there's some major life event that's going to throw you into a different category. But emotional intelligence isn't like that. And that's why I think it's so great because why would you want to assess something that you can't really do anything about? Like, you are how you are, but emotional intelligence, you can do something about it. And it makes a huge difference, especially if you're in a management or leadership role to understand how your emotions impact everybody around you. You know, a boss comes into the office, they're in a bad mood. No one's getting anything done because everybody thinks it's about them. But if you can walk in and go, hey, guys, this has nothing to do with you. I had a fight with my spouse. Okay, like <laughs> heads down, let's get some work done. Now it's it's a whole different ball game, but you need to be able to understand what's triggering you and and how to articulate it in an appropriate way. Do you think that you know, it seems like, you know, a lot of my, you know, I mean, I work in higher education, a lot of meetings and trainings and leadership things I've been to and conferences, you know, they they say to be transparent, you know, I guess with your emotions and you know, I guess what you want to get out of your goals and all that stuff. I mean, do you think there's a good and bad thing to being transparent or should you like hold some of your cards in without showing all of your emotions at once all the time? Like, I hope this kind of makes sense what I'm trying to ask, you know? Yeah, no, I, I understand. And, um, you know, I mean, Brene Brown has made a fortune talking about vulnerability in the workplace and, and all of that. And I, I'm a proponent of, of her work and the idea of being transparent and vulnerable, especially in, in leadership roles. But I do want to add to that, that I think it, you know, intentional vulnerability, deliberate <laughs> transparency. So it's not just transparency for the, for the sake of it, but it's, it's thoughtful. And so as an example, let's say there's some, you know, stressful situation. A leader's job is to buffer the stress from everyone else so that everyone else can get done what they need to get done and they can focus without that layer of stress bothering them. That's that's pretty much what leaders do is they 
you know, shelter and protect. Now, if it's, if you have the mindset of like total transparency, you might be passing along some things that are going to trigger or stress people out from, and keep them from doing the work that needs to be done to minimize the stress. So I think, you know, you want to be strategic about the specific situations uh, and areas where you're transparent and sharing a little bit more um, from a vulnerable place. But, you know, leaders, we, we want them to be um, human, (laughs) which is to say like, okay, be vulnerable so that I know you're human, but also I don't want to be, if I'm reporting to you, I don't want to feel like I'm your shrink either, right? Like, like I still want you to take the lead and be in control. Um, so I think there's some balances and that's, you know, it's a delicate individual, um, you know, conversation. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. And it seems like it just, I think you kind of touched on it. it depends on the situation and the area and the work or whatever, but just because, you know, I, I took so many classes, you know, with college and masters about, you know, leadership roles and what type of leader are you? And, you know, you had to actually answer that in interviews, which I always hated. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. I've only been, you know, a manager at Walmart at one point while I was in college just to get beer money and <laughs> pay my rent, you know, and I don't know. I was just scheduling people. But, you know, I felt like I was like, there's, I didn't feel like I've, I felt into one type of leadership role that was perfect for me, you know, like, a, you know, what is it? Um, a dictator, autocratic, and I can't remember the others. I hope I said that right. I may have said that wrong. But anyway, but yeah, I just, I guess that was the whole point, like being situational. And then I don't, you know, do you want to be feared or liked as a boss? And you think that one leadership is better than the other. And I mean, you could feel like you could go on all day, but it's just a matter of kind of what you're saying. You found methodologies and ideologies that work for you. And I think that's what you just got to stick to your guns with ultimately. And it's just a matter of, maybe it's a matter of trial and error, you know, damn, I don't know. Um, well, I think, you know, the other thing that's interesting about a, this as a leadership conversation, I just um, I've done a lot of work with emotional intelligence with leadership teams. I just um, was doing a project for a company that has um, 55 leaders across different practice areas. It's a national multi-million dollar company. Um and they had me do an emotional intelligence specific for leaders assessment for everyone on their team. And each of them got a one-on-one, 100% personal, private debriefing meeting with me. And every one of them, my first question is, tell me what's already on your radar screen as a leader. What are you already working on? What do you already know is that either the type of leader you want to be or something that triggers you or something that frustrates you as a leader. And everybody had a different issue. And so then I looked at the data about them and we talked about how to apply how they're wired to their specific issue. So it's very custom pinpoint. Um, In another scenario, I was doing a training for a leadership team and I asked them, you know, describe the attributes of the best boss you've ever worked for. And, and then I had them describe the attributes of the guys and gals that they did not appreciate reporting to. And so we, you know, created this, you know, these lists all over the room. And what's fascinating is that everything that people resonated with, what made somebody a good boss were things like, they listened to me, they had my back. you know, I, I could trust them. Um, they were confident, but not overly confident, right? Like it, they were balanced and all of the things had to do with emotional intelligence. Nothing had to do with, you know, they, they knew everything there was to know in our industry. They, you know, they're great with numbers. Like none of that had anything to do with what made somebody want to get up and work for this individual. And I think that's very telling. And that's why, Emotional intelligence for leaders is so important because that's that's what people are relating to. What are your thoughts on this? You know, you said that they found out that they like somebody who was confident, but not overly confident. But to be a leader, to be successful, to be a, a CEO, I mean, do you have to have a certain ego to be successful or can you do that without a, a certain ego? Oh. <sighs> 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. You know, I, I was having this debate with somebody recently um, about, you know, like being the president, right? Um, I think that's, a, you know, that may, this is going to be an outlier example, but honestly, I don't think you could be the president of the United States uh, without being somewhat of a narcissist. We can you know, we can debate <laughs> who is the most narcissistic or not. doesn't really matter, Probably. but you can't, huh? Uh, we don't have to go down that road, but yeah. Keep no, going. we won't, for, for uh, sure won't. Yeah. But my point is, you know, that's maybe an extreme, like you'd have to have an extreme level of confidence to think that you could do a that level job. Now, CEO of a company, leader of a, a company or something like that, uh, you don't necessarily need a, a big ego to do that. You do need strong levels of confidence, self-regard, I would say. And I think there's a difference between self-regard and self-esteem. So how I look at that is um, self-esteem comes from the outside in, right? So you want to be liked or, or and somebody tells you you do a good job, that's I get my needs met. I get my confidence because you told me I did a good job. Yeah. Self-regard emanates from the inside out. That's that inner confidence that I know I'm good. I trust my abilities. And when that comes from the inside out, you know, that's unshakable. When it's something from the outside in, that's situational. And so I think what it takes for a strong leader is to have a high level of self-regard. As long as it's in balance with some of the other emotional intelligence attributes, it's going to be a positive thing for you and for the rest of the team. If it's if self-regard is so out of whack with all of the other attributes, that's going to come across as a little too much of a good thing. And, and in that case, it's not about raising your level of emotional intelligence it may be about bringing one outlier down to a, a level that's more in balance with everything else. Humil humility? Is that what you're saying? But have a humble experience? I think so. I think a little humility is a good thing. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I, I think I usually ask this question a lot, but that do you have to go through these certain experiences in life in order to be, you know, humbled, you know, you know, a divorce, a breakup, you know, lose your job, you know, uh, I don't know, something like you missed the last shot at the game or whatever, but you learn from these experiences and find out who you are and learn how to either keep up getting after it, you know, showing up to work every day. And maybe that's part of being successful. But, you know, some people might argue that, no, I don't think you don't need those experiences that you can just walk through life and, you know, get whatever experiences you need out of a book. I think there's two kinds of people. There's, uh, there's the people that let their experiences define them. Mm. Um, and then there's people that let their experiences outline them. Like, like it expands who they are, what they're capable of, the lessons that they've learned. And, and the real distinction between those two is the level of introspection and, and the depth to which you do understand your own emotional you you have an emotional self-awareness. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've all been through bad things. If you're, you know, if you're, you live past 25 years old, you've had some negative experiences over the, some point in your life. Sure. So do they destroy you? Does it, does it determine your outlook and, and cast a shadow over everything? Or do you acknowledge how you've overcome that or the lessons that you've learned from that and allow that to, 
you know, expand what's possible for you and how you can contribute and who you are and how you move through the world. And um, I think that's, uh, I, I think that's really probably one of the main things with, you know, being a good, successful leader, salesperson, you know, pick a, pick a profession, but it's how your experiences inform who you become. Um, while you were talking, I was wondering if, you know, younger generations are losing that, you know, cause they are, you know, I work in higher education also and that, you know, we see these senses of entitlement, I guess you could say, and going back kind of being narcissist or whatever, but, you know, instead of actually trying to overcome these experiences, you know, go through a hard path or whatever down the road that they'd rather just point a finger and blame in somebody else's fault and never truly get that experience and finding out what they're made of. You know I mean? You know, part of the reason why I do, I mean, I've said this before, but, you know, doing CrossFit, you know, it pushes me to limits that, you know, as far as physically and mentally that I never thought I would be at, you know, and now eight years later, you know, mm-hmm. something happens, you know, it's like, hey, that's really not that bad. You know, I get stuck in traffic. All right. No big deal. You know, I mean, I'll get there when I'm getting there. It's no big deal to me. But um, I guess that's what I'm saying is that, you know, we do these hard things to find out what we're made of and then we keep showing up and that's what to do the work and that time and effort will make you to whoever you want to be, if you have that goal in life, or if you, if your goal in life is just to, you know, be the Walmart guy and getting beer money and for college or whatever, that's fine. If you're happy, I mean, I don't care what you do, but I don't think you should go around complaining, obviously saying, well, Oh man, could, that could have been me who was the CEO of, you know, Microsoft or whatever, but you know, I just didn't do it. And I was like, well, it's kind of on you, bro. It's not, you know, you shouldn't point fingers, kind of look at yourself and what you're doing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've kind of always believed that, um, the the dreams that keep coming back come back for a reason and you don't really get um it wouldn't even occur to you to have a dream or an aspiration if it wasn't possible at some level like i'm 5 foot nothing at no point in my entire life did it ever occur to me that i could be a professional basketball player like <laughs> There's no amount of work I'm going to do. There's no amount of people or networking or connections that I would have that would have that outcome turn out. Um, But it has occurred to me to be a professional entertainer. And I have accomplished that already in in one area of life with, you know, my business, you know, programs. And you could say I am I mean, as a, a professional speaker, I'm entertaining and educating and and I've accomplished that goal. Now, I've noticed for myself that uh it that same kernel of a goal ha- is wanting to manifest a little bit differently. And so I wrote a one woman comedy show. It's it's a little inspirational cuz that's kind of how my business brain is wired, but it's it's comedy throughout and it's really my life story as told through the lens of a comedian. But it's not just my story. It's I want you to see your story through the lens of a comedian. I want you to see what's possible for you when you hear my story and I can laugh at all the ups and downs throughout the course of my life. I want that to inspire other people to get the lessons from their own lives and laugh at some of the experiences that may have hurt them because it, it transforms how you see your future when you rewrite your life story from the standpoint of how is this funny? Mm -hmm. And, and so now that, that dream that has always been to, inspire people to see more and create more possibilities for their own lives. Like at first it was about, let me help you sell more. And now it's about, let me help you laugh more and, and create new things in your life. And, and I found that best way to connect with people is by helping them laugh. And so, you know, but I know that I wouldn't have the dream of entertaining audiences with a one woman show if I did, if it wasn't possible for me to write it, produce it, perform it. And I did that. I did that in 2019. I wrote, produced and performed the show. And um, at the end of 2022, I'm taking the show on tour. Like we're like, I'm literally doing the thing. And so we'll see how it goes. (laughs) I mean, I'm wondering if during a pandemic, a lot of people actually stopped and 
looked at themselves like that and just said, Hey, you know, I'm just walking through life, not asking questions, just going day by day. Cause I was part of this too. I can talk about this, but you know, and not asking questions and all of a sudden, you know, 10 years went down the road, but then life came to a halt, you know, I guess you could say during a pandemic, but that's the reason like, Hey, I can, this is my time to get out of this, you know, bullshit job and maybe try to do something better with my life and, you know, take on a new project, learn a new skill, you know, lose that weight or whatever. And, but yeah, I think it's just what kind of, I guess we're kind of circling around it, but you just got to figure out life experiences, get to know yourself, learn what you're good at, learn how can you can prove and, you know, and like get you a mentor if that's what you're looking for. That's one thing I've kind yeah. of, I've always regretted, you know, that uh, I was talking about it the other day that, you know, I, uh, I had mentors sort of, but I, I kind of passed them over just because I was that young guy, not really looking towards my future. I was just kind of looking at the now moments, you know, during college or whatever. I was, I didn't really care like what was after college, you know, it was just a matter of just, I'm mm. just doing it for now. And then, you know, obviously after college, it's like, Oh shit. Uh, life is started passing by. Everyone's else is moving on with their life. And I didn't do anything. And that's, mm. when I was scared of being a loser. You know, that's the reason I went and got my master's degree. And I was like, I got to do something. You know, I can't go move back in with mom and pop or everyone will, you know, think I'm a loser. I'll never get, you know, I'll never get married that way. You know, nobody wants to date a guy living with their mom and pop still. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, I guess that was like kind of the start off kicking off point of like, Hey, I need to do, look at myself and start self-improving and go after what Chris wants and try to get to a point in life and figure out how to do that. And that's either through, you know, reading books, talking with people like you, learning your paths and all that good stuff. So yeah, I'm not sure where I was going with that point. Yeah. That was what all I had. <laughs> Well, I, uh, as the mother of an 18 year old son who is headed off to college in a few months, I, uh, I hope he has that same epiphany one day because he sure as heck is not moving back into my basement. Um, but I, uh, when he turned 18, I gave him, I, I feel very strongly that as an adult, um, adult, one of the hallmarks of an adult is, uh, your library. And while I don't think I've ever seen, I haven't seen my kid read a book since we were reading Thomas the Train together when he was six. But uh, at some point, I know he's going to pick up a book. And so I started, my gift to him was starting his library. So I pulled together the 18 books that most influenced my my life, my thinking, um, I actually asked some strong men in my life to give me their recommendations. Like there's only so much I can teach you as a single mom. Um, what are the books that men read to become good men? And those are the things that I want my son to learn. And so I know that one day, um, maybe 12 years from now, he's going to look at that bookshelf and he's going to need an answer. And Maybe it's there for him, but I, I think, you know, you've heard it before. It's the books that we read. It's the relationships that we have that really do shape our lives. And, and it's also, you know, just making sure that we're open-minded so that we know that more is possible for us. And if we just keep an open mind and look at our experiences as like pathway to whatever that next thing is, like, I didn't know as a kid that being on the cheerleading team or trying out for the high school sh musical was all part of the master plan of getting me comfortable being in front of people. And now that I have perspective, I see what I do for a living, what my dreams and goals are for my future. And now I can look back and go, Oh, well, of course I did those things. Of course I was drawn to that because that was important for me to get to where I am now. Um, and I just, I just think it's fascinating. I wanted to ask uh, what books, or you don't have to list all 18 of them, but what were your top two, top three of uh, things your life? I mean, there's some classics, right? There's some classics like Think and Grow Rich and, yeah. um, you know, Win Friends and Influence People, right? So, um, but then there were things, uh, uh, one of the books that, um, uh, a friend of mine actually wrote, he runs a men's group called Man Uncivilized. And uh, I think his book is fantastic for, for men to kind of understand the tenets of being a good man. Um, so I, I got that book on the shelf. And there's another book uh, from a sales perspective, but also I think it's just good in terms of being influential and understanding the things that have influence over you. 
I I put the book Influence by Robert Caldini on the on the bookshelf. Um, mindset is on the bookshelf by Carol Dweck. It's really about having a growth mindset and how different that is from a fixed mindset. Like, you know, if you always believe that you can learn something, then the whole world is open to you. And that's one of the things I would love for my son to embody is is that philosophy. What else is on there? I think there's a couple Tony Robbins. There's definitely at least one Tony Robbins book in there because I'm a fan. I'm a super fan. Um, yeah. No, well, I mean, while you were talking, I, I wanted to make sure I said this though. You know, even doing podcasts and you know, engage, in, in, even engaging out in the real world now, that you have to have. I feel like an open mind now and being not don't be married to your ideas is what I'm trying to say. Is that just because, right. like you said. You know, talking about growth and stuff, if you stop growing, if you stop learning and then you say, hey, no, my way is the only way of doing something, you're going to learn that this is going to cause conflict. This is going to cause maybe a road that you don't want to go down on. And that was my whole thing, you know, that I wanted us to say that, you know, there's nothing wrong with being open minded, you know, and I know people like to be right. And that's probably what causes a lot of heated debates that this world doesn't need. But, you know, even just being open minded doing this, you know, before. You know, you and I started talking tonight. You know, we only exchanged a couple emails or whatever. So I had no idea what I was going to get into tonight, you know. And and for the most part, I did a little research on you, but I don't go do a whole, you know, full-blown research paper and get everything to know about you. But I just get, you know, some good talking points that I want to bring up. But, yeah, I guess that was my point that maybe the world does need to be a little bit more open-minded just to not be successful but just, you know – so sit down and have, you know, if you want to debate something, have a civilized, rational adult debate. You know, it doesn't always have to be, you know, right versus left, you know, black versus white and, you know, causes uproar of something that this world don't need. Maybe I shouldn't have said all that, but that's just kind of <laughs> my thought. No, I think I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, one of my most popular keynotes that I do for conferences now is really on the four magic words that transform fill in the blank, sales, leadership, life, et cetera. And, and it's really not that complicated. You know, if I ask you, are you interested in hearing about the solutions that I offer in my business? It's pretty easy for you to say, no, I'm not interested. Are you interested in learning our, the major points of our political party? Are you interested in this or that? It's pretty easy to say, no, I'm not interested. I already have my way of thinking and being, but if I say, um, are you open to having a conversation so that we can really understand each other's point of view? Are you open to having a conversation to see if the things that we offer could be a solution for you? It's hard for you to say you're not open to it Mm -hmm. because the moment you say you're not open, it's about who you are. It's about your identity. And most of us, according to a Pepperdine university study, most of us would like to think that we're more open-minded than the average and for that to be true, that those four words, are you open to, really can shift a conversation and, and create a new possibility where one didn't exist just by tapping into that universal feeling that we all want to be seen and recognized as an open-minded person. Yeah, no, I agree 100% that, you know, and some people say they're open-minded, but uh, and kind of using this as an analogy that, you know, they say that, but then when it comes down to it, they're not. But just because, you know, speaking of books and everything, I'm currently reading Sacred Cow right now. And it's by Rob Wolf. It's just a oh, yeah. book about, yeah, about meat or whatever. But they were talking about studies, how people will say, you know, they are eating very, you know, very well. And they're whatever. I guess the whole study is what I'm trying to say is that when they get down to the actual study, they actually lie about what they're eating and eating way healthier than what they actually are. And that's what you know, obscures most studies. So, yeah, I mean, mm. you, know, you know, just I don't know if that deals with or coincides with being open minded, but, you know, don't lie. If you mean if you want to take this test and learn more about you and learn about your health and what you're eating, if it's good for you. I mean, you got to sit down, have the conversation, be upfront about what's going on and not obscure the results. Hope that kind exactly. of I hope that kind of related to what I was just trying to say for you. So, sometimes <laughs> I started talking and I was like, "Wait, was that where I was going with that point?" I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but um, but yeah, I mean, reading is very powerful that I've learned. You know, I try to read one book, but one book a month. And when mm-hmm. I say read, I'm an audiobook guy too. And but it's worked. You know, I mean, I learned a lot from it. You know, and I can, you know, you don't have to believe everything that you're reading and take in like exact word for word for word, but you know, you can take, pick up pearls and gems, you know, and you know, I read a lot yeah. of self-motivating books and stuff like that. And 
one thing I've learned that just because, you know, let's, I don't know, we were talking about Bill Gates or, well, I said CEO of Microsoft, but just because you read his biography or whatever, doesn't mean you have to do exactly everything that he did to get to where he's at. If that's who you want to be or like, or whatever, but you can use, like I said, pearls, some gems, some tidbits in order to take with you, learn on your way, just like you have your strategies and methodologies and learn how to turn that into something, a diamond, make something powerful, some magic. There we go. Absolutely. So, yeah. But uh, I got a couple of questions I wanted to ask you. And they're kind of like, would you rather questions? And they're kind of stupid little Ooh. things I like to ask towards the end sometimes, just depending on how I'm feeling or whatever. And I thought this one might be pretty good since we're talking about books and stuff we like and all that. All right. But all right. So this is, I feel like I probably know the answer to this one for. So would <laughs> you rather be chronically underdressed or overdressed? <laughs> um. I would say overdressed. Is that just because? Like, um, well, I feel like, uh, you know, relating back to confidence, uh, I'm more confident. If I'm overdressed for the situation, I can own that mm -hmm. a lot easier than if I feel like I'm not dressed for the occasion. Uh, that's going to, I'm going to be ruminating over oh why didn't i wear that other thing so yeah that's my answer i'm sticking to it, <laughs> I like it. you know just because you know half the time i'm unless i'm at work i'm wearing just gym clothes or whatever but you know there is something powerful when you go wear you know a power suit power tie you know and it's just yep. good or i do anyway and sometimes i wonder that you know back in i forgot what era it was but everybody wore suits and ties you know like a top hat or whatever <laughs> You know, and it was, it was great. It's cool to watch movies like that. It was like, you know, now it's just like, if we went back to that, you know, what would the life be like if everyone had to wear a suit and tie again? You know, I guess like the madman, they did it. In those days. I, I would be very happy. I, I love to dress up and I love to like feel that swagger when you know, you look good and you're rocking it. I just feel like that's, Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the best version of me. <laughs> I mean, going back into ego and confidence and all that. But yeah, I agree. You know, like, you know, if I'm in a wedding or whatever, and you got to put on a suit and tie and you come walking out and you got your Conor McGregor walk on. You're just like, mm, let's do this. So anyway, but uh, yeah. OK, yeah, that's all I want to say about that. So, all right. Next one I got. <laughs> uh, would you rather have one song in your head for the rest of your life or never be able to hear music again? Oh, I, no doubt. I would rather have one song in my head the rest of my life. And I already know what the song is. <laughs> the song is called Unwritten by Natasha Benningfield. And it is the song that defines my life. I, I love that song. I love every word in it. I love the music. I, I love the little gospel choir that comes in the middle. It's fantastic song. And it, it's it's who I am. And it defines your life, you think? Oh, I think okay. so. I mean, it really captures the, I mean, basically the, the lyrics are, you know, um, the rest, you know, the rest is yet unwritten. So I just, I listen to it and I think, I don't even know what's coming next in my life, but I'm so excited. And the fact that I, when I wrote my one woman show, it's literally called Book of Merit. So the idea that that's always, that's been my favorite song for more than a decade. And that I literally wrote the story of my life when, and she talks about, you know, the rest is yet unwritten and it's just like, Oh, it really is the story of my life. She okay. nailed it. <laughs> huh? Okay. Well, being a person, a comedian, you know, and if you're stature, keynote speaker and all that good stuff, here's a good one. So what is your ultimate nightmare social situation? I don't have a nightmare social situation. I love social situations. Um, nightmare social situation. That's a good question, Chris. Uh, I feel like I would answer that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I like all social situations. Was that, did you learn to make yourself learn all social situations? No, I I think that's just a natural innate trait of mine. I've always been the person who wants everybody else to feel comfortable. And so I think that's probably why I've always been 
you know, the one to crack the joke or bring people together. I always, I am always the, like the, I mean, sometimes I'm life of the party, right? Quote unquote, but I'm good at getting people, like I'm good at breaking the ice. I've, you know, I, I can go up to anybody and start a conversation about anything. I'm not intimidated in those situations at all. And I don't think that's anything that I've learned. I think that's just how I'm wired. I feel like breaking the ice is can be pretty tough for a lot of people sometimes. I know like when I go to my trainings and higher end stuff, they make us do those stupid icebreakers just to get them going. And just, I mean, I get what they're doing, but it's also kind of like, oh, but I guess going back to the nightmare social situation was that I actually learned to try to make myself more sociable just because when I first started in higher ed or and even after the, yeah, before that, really just that I would always, I'd be the guy that would go to people I know and sit at that table rather than trying to find people I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, a, again, it's powerful. And it's once you can break the ice and no pun intended through icebreaker, but break the ice and put yourself through that. And you're like, Ooh, I can do this. You know, I can open myself up a little bit and make a new friend. And even if they don't want to hear what I got to say, at least I can try say I tried rather than just being a guy sitting in the corner. Being weird. I think we overcomplicate it. Right. Because if you think about it, most people are uncomfortable in those situations. So all you have to do is go up to someone and say, are you as uncomfortable in these situations as I am? And then bam, you've bonded. That's it. That's the icebreaker. And they're thr- they're thrilled that you did it because they didn't want to do it. So you can't lose. Yeah. So yeah. If you just remember that one line, you know, it's just like a pickup line with a girl. But if you can just remember that, even if it fails nine times out of ten, <laughs> at least one time it'll probably work. So um, Exactly. All right. Are you a foodie? Do you like food? I like food. I like basically anything that anybody else has cooked. If it's up to me, I'm still stuck on Pop-Tarts, mac and cheese. I burn salad. I mean, I'm terrible. So, (laughs) yeah. Uh, yeah. This question, all right, this will be the last one. And I know we're getting short on time and I'll let you get out of here. So um, if you had to eat all your meals at one restaurant for the rest of your life, what would it be? Or what's, yeah, which one would it be? Is Baskin Robbins considered a restaurant? (laughs) I'm an ice cream girl. Um, One restaurant, what would it be? Wow. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe something like something like Cheesecake Factory that has like a huge menu so I could have a lot of different variety and never get bored. And and the portions are so big, I would always be full. (laughs) I'm not a foodie by any means but i'm one of those guys like i can tell you what i don't want to eat rather than what i will eat like i i, I hate grits you know and it's very yeah. specific yeah just i don't know why but i don't know what it is but i mean like so let's say if i was you know at your house and you fed them to me i would still eat them but i wouldn't like it you know i'm, I'm that type of person i look at food as more of a fuel source than i rather you know like how people get so obsessed over foods and all that good stuff oh I just made a note of that. So if I ever have you over for dinner, I'm a hundred percent serving you grits just to watch your face. Okay, I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, I hope she don't remember, <laughs> but all right. So <laughs> if people want to find you, find all that good stuff, the comedy show, anything you want to give out, plug anything you have, you know, right now. How do they do yeah. It? Thanks. Um, best way to find me is uh, my website. Um, it's Merit Khan, M-E-R-I-T-K-A-H-N uh, dot com. And if you put a forward slash podcast on that uh, URL, that'll take you to a page where you can learn a little bit more about some of the business stuff I do. And and if you want to find out like, uh, well, there's there's a bunch of downloads on there that could be very interesting for you. And anything that you once you give me your contact information, you'll also be added to the list to know about the the comedy tour coming up. So get on the list. You never know. I have one more question that I just thought of. So. All right. Merit. Is that like, you know, you give merit an award? Is that what you're? (laughs) Yes. My parents' philosophy was that a child grows into the meaning of their name. So I don't know how they knew that I would be worthy of praise when I was just born, but they nailed it. (laughs) Um, And I used to date a guy whose last name was Worthy. So I was this close to being merit worthy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just put that connection right when you said all that. I was like, Mary, Mary, like that? Okay. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, we're going to praise, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks for doing this. This was fun. Uh, hopefully, My pleasure. some people got some good pearls and gems out of this. And 
at least listen to some stupid questions. So anyway, <laughs> thank you again, though. You're a badass person. Uh, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Okay, we're out of here, folks. It's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 